Oh, I'm good, thanks. Hi hey everyone, uh, I'm Kate, uh, for those who haven't, or haven't met yet, and today we're kicking off a new series, Jesus Stories from the Book of Mark. And I feel like I'm starting a bit of a tradition when I stand up here of confessing things to you, so I have another one for you today. The longer I work in ministry, the easier it is to become disconnected with the wonder of my faith. I sit down to read the Bible, and it feels like I'm at work. I read and I think through all of the conversations, the questions, the queries, and I look at the language as to what it means and how it's been interpreted by different people. I remember the sermons, the discussions, the critiques, and sometimes it's hard to just sit and read to get to know Jesus because of all of these things. And when I sit down to pray, so often it's about matters of the church and ministry, which is good. But then also when I talk to Jesus, it's so often about the context of the work that I'm paid to do. And the trouble with this is that it means that sometimes my faith can lose its joy. My faith and ministry have become so interconnected that when the work I do struggles, my faith struggles with it. And this shouldn't be. But it is enduring truth of humanity that familiarity breeds contempt. It's like when people know the Coranda range so well that they speed around every bend. It's like when we hear a song so many times and then you hear it and you like start to cringe, you go, not that song again. It's like when we discover the trick behind an illusion, it's just like nothing special. It's like when Jesus goes to minister to the people of his hometown, they refuse to see him as more than just the kid he once was. Which leads me to this story from Mark chapter 6. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. Now, Jesus had been on the ministry journey long enough to have some followers. He had some occasional crowds and was starting to build a reputation as a leader, a teacher, a healer, and miracle worker. And he travels to his hometown as part of his work and brings his disciples with him. Now, I want you to take a moment and think back to your childhood, if you can, to the schoolyard or church community or another community group that you were a part of. And do you sometimes long for one of those classic American movie high school reunion situations when you come back after however many years and you walk in the room and people look at you and go, oh, I didn't think much of them now, but then, but look at them now. Well, the story of Jesus' homecoming is a reminder that reality is far from the truth told in American or far from the stories told in the movies. If you think maybe of the kid you didn't get along so well with, maybe the one you thought was a bit too, you know, good for themselves, or the one you're a bit jealous of, or the one you thought was a bit weird or dorky, and imagine that I then said, hey, guess who's coming to preach next week? And it was that person. How would you react, respond? How would you feel? Would you be curious? Would you trust them? Or would you be cynical and question everything they say, measuring it by the person you once knew? Well, Jesus then began to teach. And when the Sabbath came, he taught in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. 
But before we get too excited about this amazement and Jesus having this classic high school reunion scenario, let's do some word defining. You see, this story was originally written in an old version of Greek called Koine Greek. And as we all know, translation is not an exact science. The word amazed that is used here, it is pronounced ekpleko, I think. (laughs) It can be both a positive amazement or a negative one. And it implies an astonishment, a shock, and something that kind of happens at once. Jesus' teaching in the synagogue was unexpected for his hometown people. It's kind of like if there was a person who didn't like Jara as a child, Jara the guy that was up here before, uh, and they came to church and he was preaching and performed a magic trick, and they might experience ekpleko for a moment. And then they come to question, was the real chocolate egg in his hand all along? For those who don't know what I'm talking about, watch the live stream from last week with Jaira's magic trick of a chocolate egg falling out of a postcard. But the more we look at this trick, at this illusion, and the more we see the answer or the the illusion behind it, the more cynical we become of magic tricks in general. The obvious difference being here, that what Jaira has given for us is just that, a magic trick, an illusion. But with Jesus, the power is real. But that doesn't stop the cynics. They said, where did this man get these things? They asked, what's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? They were amazed. But instead of being amazed by what he said, they were amazed that it was Jesus. So the questions continued. Isn't, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this like Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters like here with us right now? Like this was just the tradies kid. Like, like we think we knew his... I mean, there was rumors about his dad, but, you know, we knew his dad. And there was, always, there was always questions about, you know, who Jesus was. But how did a chippy learn such things? How did he learn these remarkable skills? Who who does he think he is to come back here and teach us about how to live when, you know, didn't we see him running around the streets as a snotty-nosed kid many years ago? And they took offense at him. To be fair, it's not, and this this is an equal comparison, but there are a lot of people from my childhood who if they walked through the door now and saw me standing up here, they would would be asking similar questions. And and likewise, there are other people that if I walked into a church and saw them preaching, I would also be asking those same questions. So let's look at this offence that they felt. First of all, disclaimer, sometimes it's okay to be offended and sometimes it's okay to cause offence. Jesus did both. He was indignant when someone questioned his willingness to heal and he was once invited to dinner and he spent the dinner grumbling about you know, the people who invited him, the religious leaders, what terrible people they were. Uh, and plus the whole saying that God was his dad thing, that caused offence to many people. So let's look at the Greek word for offence. And it's pretty cool because it's where the word scandal comes from, scandalizer or scandalizer. 
It means offence, but also stumbling block to disapprove. It's a frustrated entanglement of emotions. And the example that is given to try and connect with this feeling of scandalizo is like if you're walking and you trip over something and your foot gets tangled and you're kind of tripped up and frustrated, a feeling that I'm sure many parents in the room can relate to. You see, the town folk, they were curious, but because they didn't see Jesus clearly, they experienced this entanglement of emotion. They reacted because of this confusion of what they thought they knew and what they were seeing, uh, and they decided not to trust it. They were frustrated. They were tripped over by this experience. They even maybe felt a bit conned because of this disbelief. You know, as humans, we are such complicated creatures sometimes. We think we know something and then we refuse to learn something else and so we're left unchanged even when we had an opportunity for something great. We can be pretty stubborn when we want to be. So Jesus is in the synagogue teaching things that are probably quite similar to all the things we've heard him taught before. And then the congregation starts to murmur, whisper, maybe scoff, chuckle, maybe point to a brother and look at him and go, Is this your brother? Like, what's he on about? I don't think there's a public speaker in the world that would not have even a small amount of anxiety in that moment. Like, if you guys all started doing that right now, I'd be getting pretty anxious and start mixing my words up and saying all the wrong kinds of things. So I can't help but think that Jesus, who is truly and properly God and also truly and properly man would have felt some kind of inattention at this situation. We know that Jesus experienced the full variety of human emotion. We know that he cried when his good mate died. We read of him being indignant when he was doubted. We see him being annoyed at his students, frustrated at hypocrisy and angry at corruption. We see his intense anxiety in the moments leading up to his death. He even offered to quit or tried to quit his work in that moment. So it's not unreasonable to wonder if Jesus was feeling tension as his hometown folk started to question and doubt and talk while he was preaching. At the very least, we know that he noticed that this was happening because at some point he stops what he was saying and he says to them, a prophet is not without honour, except in his hometown, among his relatives and in his own home. I remember the first time I preached. It was about 14 years ago. My mum was visiting uh, and she came along, nice and supportive, and her comment to me afterwards was something along the lines of, your voice wasn't quite as annoying as I thought it would be. The reality is, the more familiar we are with someone, the more likely we are to see all of their quirks and flaws and annoying little personality traits. The more likely we are to be frustrated by the the things that are different to to our own. But it works in reverse too, you see. The more we're in awe of someone distant and far away, the more likely they're going to fall as we become closer and get to know them better. For many people left Jesus at different times when he said or did things that they were not expecting and didn't like. But here Jesus is, standing in a synagogue in front of the people that he knew as a child, and they were questioning and whispering and maybe pointing and giggling a little bit, 
and he just names the problem. If it was me, I'd probably try harder to convince them. If I had his kind of power, I'd want to pull out some great miracle to be like, come on, guys, look, I'm really who I say I am. Look at this. Look at this wine I just made. and Look at these things. But, but for Jesus, well, it says that he couldn't do any miracle there except for heal a few sick. My instinct would be like, well, of course. Like when I'm feeling insecure and rejected, I'll most likely make a mess of things. I'm sure we can all relate to that. And Jesus did come to earth with a self-imposed limitation of humanity. So maybe this is what happened. Maybe his confidence got crushed for a bit and he wasn't able to do the things he wanted to do. But in Matthew's gospel, we read the same story. And it says instead of could not, just that he did not. But this is one and the same thing. Jesus could not because it had to be their choice to receive him. Their assumed familiarity with Jesus meant that they lost the chance for amazement and wonder. They thought they knew him, so they felt like they didn't really need to get to know him. They just couldn't comprehend that he was anything more than that guy they once knew. Stubborn minds, right? We're so not good at learning when our minds have been made up. But this was fascinating to Jesus. It says that he was amazed at their lack of faith. But I have another word lesson for us, because this amazed is different to the earlier amazement. The amazement Jesus felt was a different amazement to what his town people felt. The town people felt ekpleko, the sudden astonishment, amazement, and shock. But Jesus was thou madzo. Yeah, you heard it, thou madzo. It totally sounds like saying thou, mad, so. Like, he's so mad. <laughs> Thanks for the laugh, Jarrah. But this isn't what this isn't what it means. In fact, quite quite different. It's it's a wonder, marvel. It's, it even uses the term of admiration, to marvel with with admiration at at their response. I'd have been so mad, <laughs> but Jesus, he is like he had this curiosity. These people that he still loved, he was curious. How how could they not? How could they not get it? How could they not see? So he wasn't angry. He wasn't insecure. He didn't hold back his miracles out of revenge or angst. And this lack of miracles isn't, isn't a your faith in Jesus isn't strong enough kind of response that we've sometimes heard people say. So let's do one last Greek vocab word just to totally satisfy our need for intellectual stimulation. This lack of faith is apistia, which again sounds a little bit like what he might have been feeling. But the simple translation is faithless and unbelief. They, it's not that they didn't have enough faith, it's that they had no faith. They were unwilling to receive what Jesus had to offer them. The gift that Jesus gives is an offer. Something that we choose to receive or can choose to reject. This doesn't mean we can just suddenly choose to be healed. And in most circumstances, physical healing isn't what is on offer for us. For some, it is. 
But I think our experience is to recognise that this isn't always the gift that we are offered when we want it today. But what he does offer each of us is a transformed mind, is healing of our heart, is grace and forgiveness. It is life with an eternal and everlasting God. It is an offer for a better world. And through this offer, when we receive, we learn humility, strength, honesty and kindness from Jesus. We learn to be curious in the face of criticism. We learn to be faithful in the dry lands, in the hard times. There's words to a song, Be Thou My Vision, that is one of my absolute favourites, both the old version and the new version. And in the last verse it says, Whatever before, still be my vision. Whatever before, in the good times, in the bad times. We learn to be faithful to Jesus through it all. You see, Jesus didn't quit. After this event, Jesus continued with his plans in his traveling ministry. It says, then Jesus went on teaching from village to village. He didn't just get stuck in that place trying to prove his point or win them over. It didn't define his continuing ministry to try and prove himself to his childhood people. Now, we struggle for sure in these situations. And so, you know what I marvel at? I marvel at Jesus' response in that moment because there's no way I could muster that kind of love and grace that he had in that situation. Just this calm and kind curiosity in the face of rejection. For humankind, with a yearning to live their life serving God... It was said by Halford Lecoq. Now, he was a prominent Methodist minister in America around 100 years ago and the writer of my favourite commentary. And he wrote, Many a life has failed to render the best and highest ministry of which it was capable because the people among whom it gave first witness were blinded by familiarity, contempt or jealousy. This is the limitation for so many. It is hard to get past the hurts the rejections, the criticism, the insults. And these things, even if we do keep going, they'll often taint us and we'll hold on to them. You know, for 14 years, remembering that my mum implied my voice was annoying. So many of those things will define us and shape us. So, yeah, like signs and wonders are amazing. And to experience and see those things would be just, you know, life-changing, right? But what I'm so inspired by is someone who is so loving and kind when rejected. The one who doesn't try to push past people's boundaries to prove his point or make himself feel better. He didn't enter into this debate to try and convince them of what he knew to be true. He respected their choice. This kind of, this kind of man inspires me. He's someone that I would want to follow and learn from. Now, I wonder if the miracles for the disciples got a bit boring after a while. You know, there's only so many times you see someone healed when you're just like, oh, yeah, that's just what Jesus does. Maybe. But I, I, don't, I don't think I'd get bored of seeing someone who has that kind of response in that situation. I don't think I'd ever get bored of seeing someone whose heart is so pure that they can handle a situation like that with such grace. 
There are many reasons that we have awe and wonder for God. And if this is what leads us to follow him and get to know him more, then we can also experience the wonder of his death and his resurrection. So let me ask you three things. The first one, have you lost your wonder in the familiarity of your faith? Have we become like analysis of musicians, of magicians, dissecting and pulling apart every aspect, applying logic and science and sense and structure to the point where it's just merely a logical response to organized information? Has your familiarity with your faith produced in you a boredom or discontent? Have you become so familiar that the awe and wonder has been lost? Or have you become set in your ways? I often wonder if Jesus was to come in and preach, how many of us would be offended by what he had to say? You might be like, but Jesus, that's not what I was taught. Are you sure you got that right? We have sometimes, sometimes, and not all of us, but sometimes we have built our house or a part of our house with dead bits of wood, things holding over from past And when the wind blows, it starts to wobble, so we fortify that dead wood with cement to stop it from falling down. We harden our stance on things that we think to be true. We might resort to doubt, criticism or judgment if anything tries to waver that. When we feel challenged, we might dig our feet in rather than have the flexibility that comes through grace and love. If we find ourselves in these positions, so familiar that there's a bit of contempt, or so set in our ways that we are unable to see Jesus clearly, there are some practical things that we can do. One of the simplest things to do is to read the stories of Jesus with fresh eyes, It was a faith-saving moment for me when someone suggested to read the message paraphrase when I read the Bible because I was no longer analysing the particular words and their meaning or the particular history of our context or culture. I was able to just read about Jesus in story form. It gave me a a fresh way to hear about him and I felt like I was able to get to know him once more. Perhaps we need to revisit the songs of old the ones that have inspired us, or to be willing to hear new songs that maybe they might restore something within us, remind us of that longing we have for Christ. Maybe we need to pray in a new place. Maybe instead of facing this window, face that window. Or or maybe on a mountaintop, or in a cafe with friends, or walking around your streets. Maybe we need to find some new Christians, you know, the ones that have just been saved and they're so full of that bubbly joy and hope and excitement and just listen to their story without judgment, without trying to teach them, just to listen and be reminded of that wonder of finding Christ. And their joy can be so contagious. And always keep on praying in the Spirit. 
Pray in a position where we are reminded of God's presence with us. Not praying words just to say the words, but to to be in God's presence, to ask for his spirit, his voice, to light our way. You see, God's voice can sustain you, can bring down those walls, can strengthen our faith. God's spirit will perform miracles in your life when you seek him with an earnest and humble heart. And my last question for you is this. Will you continue to follow Jesus? Or will you start to follow Jesus? It is easy to follow him when the path is straight. It's easy to follow him when there are people cheering you along the way, going, great job, that's a great cup of tea, that's a great way you just played the guitar, that's a really great hello at the door. It is so easy for me... (laughs) When I'm leading, when people are like, hey, Kate, great job, and I appreciate it when people do that because, to be honest, that kind of fuels me a little bit, which is not the way it is for Jesus and it's not the way it will be when we put our trust and our hope in him alone. It's when he steps into the rocky paths when we no longer have those words of encouragement, when we no longer have those other things that fuel us, that we learn to persevere as we follow him. And when we soften our hearts, when we recapture our wonder, I pray that we will be so reinvigorated by God's purpose in our life, that you will be reinvigorated by God's purpose in your life. Your purpose, in its most simplest form, is to follow him, that you would be reconciled with God through all eternity. And when it's God that we aim to please and not ourselves, when it's God we want to get close to and not to prove ourselves to our people of the past, it's not treasures, wealth, fame or fortune that we'll be led to. When we follow Jesus, we'll find ourselves at the foot of a cross. It's not what we expected. But it is only there that we can truly appreciate the awe and wonder of him who we follow as he climbs up upon that cross for us. And in doing so, he opens the door for the fulfillment of our purpose in Christ. Will you follow Jesus? I don't mean just to keep doing things the way we keep doing but will we step out of our comfort zone to follow him? Are you prepared to see Jesus for he truly is, which may be a little bit different to what you expect? Let us step out in our faith today that we may find awe and wonder in his presence. Let me pray with you today. Now, Heavenly Father, you are a God who created this earth. You gave us life. You knit us together. Lord, you have called each and every one of us into your presence. And Lord, we are sorry when we have let our familiarity and and our stubbornness get in the way of getting to know who you are. Lord, we are sorry when we have let other things fuel our steps. When we are driven 
by the accolades of the world rather than a desire to follow you. And I pray today, Lord, that as we sit in your presence, as we acknowledge who you are, the gift of Jesus, your son, who gave his life for us, that we would remember that awe and wonder we once felt when we first discovered you. That our hearts would be encouraged. That we would be strengthened in our faith. And that we would find that joy in you once more. That we as individuals, that we would be in awe of you and marvel at your grace. And as a church, Lord, that we would shine your light and that we would help other people to find the awesomeness and wonder of who you are. We pray for your leading in our life and pray for the courage, the strength, the conviction to follow you deeper, to follow you more closely, to follow you through the desert, and to follow you when things are good. You are our God. We are your people. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.